battle between a Frenchman, Laurent Fignon, and an American, Greg LeMond. And it comes down to the time trial, the race of truth between two men. It will be close, but I think logically it's got to be Fignon. So Paul goes for Laurent Fignon. I'm going to split the difference, Richard, and go for Greg LeMond. And there's a feeling deep down that we are going to watch history being made here by either Greg LeMond or Laurent Fignon. Uh, this one little flat road into Paris is deciding the tour because I think this will result in the shortest ever victory margin for one of them. Back on to the banks of the River Seine, the Eiffel Tower is now looming large on the right shoulder of Laurent Fignon. Greg Lamont is on the Champs-Élysées, not far behind Pedro Delgado in fact, and the gap is 35 seconds ahead of Laurent Fignon. The last half mile of this year's Tour de France will decide who will wear the final yellow jersey. Because although he has his personal battles with the press from France, I must say we find him an extremely courteous man and we've no comment against him at all. He'll grit his teeth, he'll put his head down, he'll just go for home in a dead straight line. You cannot bring the race to a finer finish than that. He goes into top place, we've got two minutes and 50 seconds now to wait for Laurent Fignon to arrive. Fignon is heading up to the turn here. We're still being told the difference is 48 seconds, two small seconds away. I can never believe that this is the end of this year's Tour de France between two riders who have totally refused to concede defeat whenever they have gone out on the bicycle every day. When I began racing bicycles, I got swept up in all the stories, the history, the rivalries. The one that really stood out was the 89 Tour de France. Not only because it was the closest tour in history, but also because I'm from Reno, where Greg LeMond trained during his youth. Cut my teeth chasing the ghost of Le Mans past, up climbs, through valleys. No matter where I would ride, deep in the back of my mind was how fast did Le Mans ride this road. So when I would catch throwback clips of the final stage of the 89 tour, I was a little prejudiced. It was the great American hero in his neon Oakleys against this Bond villain looking Frenchman with his ponytail. There was no background, just the race, just the drama, just the image. But there was a lot more to the story, heaps more. Our story starts in 1981. Greg LeMond is the dominant force of 
amateur racing circuit in the United States. Bernard Hinault was in the States putting together a team to dominate the pro ranks like only a European team could. He was also there to promote Renault's new acquisition of a bike company, Giante. With the oil giant Elf being the primary banker, the team would share the same badge as its other well-known compatriots in Formula One and Rally. Renault Elf, a name with one goal, to dominate racing. Renault Elf signed Greg Lamont, who went on to win the premier race in the U.S., the Course Classic, even beating the current Renault Holden. Lamont would be Renault's strongest domestic and would produce good results in Europe until an injury early in 82. There was a gap in young talent with Lamont out. Renault Elf would find its potential in a young Parisian by the name of Laurent Fignon. You know, would take Fignon to his first Grand Tour as his domestique. During just the second stage, Fignon found himself in a long breakaway and against all odds, found himself in the pink jersey. Hinault would lean heavily on the strength and drive of Fignon and win the Giro d'Italia that year. The Badger, Bernard Hinault, would be surrounded with outstanding talent for the 83 season. Fignon came into the season strong and Le Mans was back in good health. The Badger, coming off a Giro victory, switched modes take the Vuelta d'Espagne with his eyes on the Tour de France win later that year. Armed with his two young domestiques, Hino went after the Vuelta hard. The Spanish teams in attendance weren't dumb to the fact that the invading French team was strong and banded together to take Renault Elf down. It wouldn't be enough. Fignon was able to hold with Hinault and protect him in all the hardest climbs. Hinault would win the 1983 Vuelta de España. Unfortunately, after the Vuelta, Hinault would battle with tendonitis. He attempted to be healthy tour was coming quickly and the Badger would have to put his second Grand Tour victory that year to the side. The team would decide to go to the Tour de France with no specific team leader and use the time to promote the brand with a focus on stage wins. There was an air of good fortune at least for Laurent Fignon. Absolute horrendous luck for the favorites of the 83 Tour de France. Joop Zoetemelk, a Dutch rider, got hit early with a 10-minute penalty for doping. Robert Miller, 
a powerful climber and favorite, crashed on the third stage, knocking him out of GC contention. And a crash at the bay took out the French national champ, who was also a tour favorite. This left the always dangerous Sean Kelly in yellow at stage nine. The next day would be a massive day with the Pyrenean crown jewel, the Tourmalet, and three other mountain climbs over 200 kilometers. Staying with fellow Frenchman Pascal Simon, Vignon found himself in a race-breaking breakaway. With Delgado and Simon to round out the top three, this left Vignon to cross the line in fourth. With Pascal's French camaraderie leading Vignon into the white jersey and second place. Trying to defend a breakaway on stage 11, Simone would crash, breaking his shoulder. That's off the lap and bugging his shoulder, eh? Sorry to push him all the way, goddammit. For six stages, nobody attacks Simone. Sportsmanship and the knowledge the Alps were coming left Simone in the lead until he retired from the race on stage 17. This couldn't have been a more appropriate place for Fignon to pull on the yellow jersey. At the top of the famed Alpe d'Huez, Fignon would hold onto the jersey despite being attacked over one more mountain stage and even proved that he belonged in the yellow jersey by winning the last individual time trial. With a huge dose of luck, anti-doping sediment, and perfectly timed crashes. Laurent Fignon became one of the youngest Tour de France champions at just 23. With all the success of Fignon at the Tour de France, the Noel team still had more to give. This time, though, it would be its young stars against each other. The 1983 World Championships had Le Mans on the U.S. national team and Fignon on the French national team. Greg LeMond got involved in an early breakaway with a group of powerhouses that included Stephen Roach and Ander Vanderpoel, the father of the current racing star, Matteo Vanderpoel. Mid-race would see LeMond and Belgian rider Claude Criquelion work together for the majority of the race. In the end, LeMond took off on his own putting over a minute on his rivals and coming into the line with an enthusiastic solo victory. 1984 saw a splitting of the guard. Faced with the opportunity of a lifetime, Bernard Hinault left Renault Elf. It was actually a split full of drama and betrayal. Fignon being the 83 Tour de France winner would be designated new team leader. Angry with this decision, he know had a falling out with the Renault Elf sports director, Cyril Guimard. He know met with what could only be called a cutthroat billionaire businessman who loves to have the spotlight beaming down on him. With full ego on display, Dabi built a cycling team based around Bernard Hinault. With the name of his health food store chain, La Claire. With doubt sprayed all over Fignon's tour victory, the 
84 Tour was going to be the true test for Laurent Fignon. This year, however, he would have an ace in his sleeve. The powerhouse domestique and the world champion, Greg LeMond. The first major test for the new Renault Elf team would be the Giro d'Italia. Francesco Moser, the holder of the one-hour record, a strong veteran of one-day classics, would win the prologue at Luca. Stage one, the team time trial, however, Renault Elf put the hammer down and dominated, putting the pink jersey on Fignon. By stage four, controversy and drama began to unfold. Favoritism toward the Italian old guard became apparent. As the referees looked the other way when Moser drafted team cars and they even hit Fignon with a 20 second penalty for taking food out of the feed zone. The 18th stage, a high pass, miserable mountain stage over the Stelvio that would have suited the climbers and not the brick house that is Moser. It was canceled and rerouted to two easier passes. This started a shitstorm of press rumors and a lot of coincidental conspiracy. One of those was the city that was in charge of cleaning the pass, Trent, Moser's hometown. The other is that the French cycling magazine, Velo, had pictures of the pass being clear. No matter, on the 20th stage, Fignon attacked the Campagnolo Pass, splitting the leaders and putting him in the lead with only two stages to go. final stage, an individual time trial. After an uneventful 21st stage, the final stage, the final time trial, would again be shrouded in controversy. Fignon would start the time trial, a minute 21 ahead of Francesco Moser. Fignon would lose the final time trial, saying that the helicopter's turbulence hindered him and helped Moser. Belgian race officials said that no such thing happened and that Moser rode harder than anyone he had ever seen. In the end, Francesco Moser beat Laurent Fignon at a minute three. On a tight margin, Fignon would take second in the final time trial. A devastating defeat after an incredible effort. win the climber's jersey and Renault Elf would win the team competition, cementing themselves as a top contender for the upcoming Tour de France. The chance to face off with his former leader Bernard Hinault would happen on the biggest stage of them all, the Tour de France. After the battle between Moser and the Giro, this would be the race that would be dubbed a generational war. The new guard, led by Renault Elf, and the defending old guard, with the badger at his helm, 
the race started with the prologue. Vignon, the favorite. You know, proved his recovery from knee surgery, winning the prologue and beating Fignon by just three seconds. Le Mans was in ninth, just 12 seconds behind. The race was on. Renault went on to win the team time trial on stage three. This ended any doubts that the 83 tour was a farce. Four racers wore the yellow jersey in the first four stages. The fifth changed the course of the race. An early breakaway containing some domestiques, two of them that happened to be on the hyped rivalry teams. Le Guyot on La Viclaire and Bardot on Renault Elf. The importance of this, neither team would chase them down, letting the breakaway go to fruition. Now Bartow was in the yellow jersey. This put Renault in the defending position and gave Bartow the confidence to ride harder than he ever had. And with him not being the new team leader, it was up to Fignon's rivals to attack while Fignon would be aided by his fit young domestiques, one being in the yellow jersey. Stage seven was the first individual time trial. Fignon put the hurt on Hinault. It was considered to be the best time trialist in the world at the time. Winning the stage and putting 49 seconds on him. In the Pyrenees, the racing would still be more intense. One long stage, three passes, and lots of drama. The Mon had shown his prowess after being dropped on the first climb. He made a mad descent and reached the leaders. They would be there to help Fignon on the final climb. A strategy developed with the intense knowledge of the Badger's racing style. After years of racing on the same team, Fignon attacked midway up the final climb to make sure he no couldn't recover. It worked perfectly. the next few stages, sitting in a strong position with his teammate in yellow. Fignon began to attack Hino mentally. This would start to become a trademark of Fignon's. Attacking on a hilly day, just to put Hino under pressure, even though there wasn't a significant time gain. And going after field sprint, even winning it. It wasn't over though. The Alps were still ahead, and Hinault was still only two minutes behind Fignon. On stage 16, Fignon would win the individual time trial again, showing that the time trial wasn't a weakness, and adding another 30 seconds on the Badger. The next day would be the true test, Alpe d'Huez. wanted to break Fignon on the penultimate climb, Le Frey, attacking five times. All this did was weed the field, and only the best would be at the front of the race at the bottom of Alpe d'Huez, 
including rookie Greg LeMond. True to his name, the Badger attacked down the Lafrey's descent. All the risks he could take, he flew down the road, passing Fignon and Herrera, and getting a head start on Alptuez. The ferocity of the Badger continued up the Alptuez. But he was no match for the Colombian Herrera. who set the pace for Fignon and a small group of the world's best climbers. They would fly by Hino. take the stage of Fignon and Fignon would add nearly three minutes to his lead. Hino would finish in seventh behind his former domestique, Greg Lamond. Hino was furious and it wasn't helped by Fignon's psychological warfare that he'd been leading with the press. Hino had nothing to lose and would look to make his competitors suffer. And stage 18 was another typical day in the Alps, full of suffering. Hino wouldn't have it though. Being dropped early on, still being the Badger, he attacked in the feed zone. A blasphemous move that shredded the peloton etiquette. The Renault team worked together and made Hino pay for the attack. Final climb of the day, La Plange, was a lesson. Why Fignon was called the professor, not just because of his wire-framed glasses. He and his power domestique Lamont powered up the climb, dropping the Colombians, Hino, and any other tour contender. Lamont led Fignon into an attack that gapped his competitors by more than a minute, and nearly three minutes ahead of Hino. Lamont would move into third overall behind Bernard Hino. The rest of the Alps were a breeze. Group finish on stage 19. On stage 20, Vignon would lock in his victory by winning another stage and putting another minute on Hino. Lamont in his battle to be on the podium, two minutes ahead of power climber Robert Miller. Stage 22 was the last chance for anyone to make an attempt at moving the position in the GC. This wouldn't happen, and Fignon would squash the naysayers and win the time trial. He played the Badger's weaknesses, his hot-headedness, his inability to immediately respond to attacks, and how he reacts to the media. The race was controlled from the beginning, whether other racers knew it or not. In Paris, three men stood on the podium. Vignon, the apprentice, overtaking his master. Hino, who stood in second. In third, a new threat 
trained by both these powerful racers who would be ready as he wore white Greg LeMond. These early years of Laurent Fignon and Greg LeMond's careers were all about coming through the ranks at lightning pace. Trained by one of the best cyclists in history, Bernard Hinault, who was a master at hurting other people, at attacking, at not taking any garbage from any other racer. That, that mixed with Guillard's mental and strategical genius created these two racers. The final podium in 84, where all three of them stood together was a testament to how good they all really were. Whether you see he know being this old, crusty, grumpy racer who is clinging to the past, or you see Fignon with his overwhelming, meticulous planning of how he's going to race. Even Lamont with his pure talent coming up. This was the start of a great career for two racers and the beginning of the end for a third. It wasn't over. And he know still wanted that fifth Tour de France win. <laughs> 